Episode 11 of the Stone Freeman Podcast is ready to roll. We haven't done one in about a month now, guys, so I'm really excited for this one. We got everything from your Twitter questions to a new segment about things you can talk about tonight at the dinner table, ranging outside of sports, too. And sticks and stones may break your bones, but Tim McComb from 98.5 The Sports Hub, he'll never hurt you. He's also one of the guys at Channel 10 in Cranston, Rhode Island. So we're excited. Episode 11 is ready to roll. Let's go. I'm Stone Freeman. I'm Stone Freeman. Alongside Stone Freeman. Seven on the game clock. 74-73. Fats for the win. Got it! Two seconds left. Fats Russell. Excuse me. From Bishop Hendrickson. I'm Stone Freeman. Excuse me. Stone Freeman. Oh, I'm Stone Freeman. Where'd they all go? From the State House in Providence. I'm Stone Freeman. For the record, boom. That's the one I'm using. Where'd all the haters go? Who's the weirdo in the post game? The Curry kid that wrote Duxbury. D U C K S B E R R Y. I can't find a single one. Oh, that's a Stone Freeman from URI. It's Freeman. Excuse me. What? Yeah, Stone Freeman. That's his name. Who's named after Stone Phillips? It's a good day to be a Ram. All right. I'll see you guys around town. Episode 10 came out on December 19th, 2018. Now in the new year, 2019, we're recording on January 17th. It's a Thursday and uh, excited to continue to roll with the Stone Freeman podcast. Took some time off from the podcast, did some traveling with URI men's basketball in Hawaii for uh, the Christmas holiday, um, doing some play-by-play, filling in for Steve McDonald and Don Call. That was fun on the WRU airwaves as well, but still a college student, folks, entering my final semester here at the University of Rhode Island. So I want to take some time to recharge over these past couple weeks and get ready to go with the second semester. But we're here. It's a new podcast, episode 11. A lot of exciting stuff. We got a new segment we're going to debut. We're going to talk to Tim McComb, answer your Twitter questions, so on and so forth. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you to subscribe to us on our uh, iTunes account. Just search the Stone Freeman podcast. Click subscribe. You'll get notifications when the new ones come out. And the same thing for SoundCloud. You can like us on SoundCloud. Same handle, the Stone Freeman podcast. Find it there. Our Twitters at Stone Free Pod, and then my personal Twitter at Stone P. Freeman. So you can follow us and interact with us on Twitter as well. But we got a new segment I want to debut off the bat, and it's called Dinner Table Talk. And, and, I, and I thought of this idea because over the break, I spent a lot of time with my family, fortunate for them to come with me out to Hawaii. Uh, and, and I realized something, and it's very fortunate to say this about my family, we can talk about anything at the dinner table. Um, Sports-centric, obviously, just the nature of our family, both my sister's athletes, me trying to break into this sports media field. Um, And I realized our conversations have a lot of sports ties, but we can branch into anything, funny things, things that we want to talk about, and uh, things that we can continue to to kind of bring some joy to our day, what what happened that was good. And uh, I'm trying to start with that now, with with a couple things, doesn't have to be sports-centered, that that you can just go home and talk about uh, to your friends, to your family, little things. Again, I'm a sports guy, so we'll stick with a couple sports narratives, but we got something today that we want to bring up. Uh, that has nothing to do with sports that I think needs to be addressed. But in the dinner table talk today, we start locally and we'll stick with sports off the bat. And it's David Cox, the head coach of the University of Rhode Island. Uh, the men's basketball team, the Rams, beat uh, St. Bonaventure last night. Final score, 75-63. Again, we're recording on Thursday, so last night would be Wednesday. Uh, 18 points from Tyrese Martin, a freshman making a start. David Cox shaking up his starting lineup. We're going to get to all the X's and O's of this later on in the, the Twitter questions uh, segment of the podcast. But this uh, Avengers a loss, right? They lost to George Mason on Sunday at home, 84-67. Really ugly loss. Um, but David Cox spoke a lot of truth in his postgame press conference last Last night, uh, and I think we've heard him say a lot in his tenure with Rhode Island. And he's nine and seven now, so he's sixteen games in, and, and doing a, a pretty good job as the head coach with big shoes to fill. But he always addresses Rhode Island basketball, right? And and to many people, Rhode Island basketball has become hard nosed defensive basketball. Effort you're putting in a lot of effort on the court. Um, hard nosed on the defensive end, but cohesive on the offensive end. And uh, I think this has really taken place over the last two years. NCAA season, success helps build a culture. And Rhode Island basketball uh, has been infectious over the past two seasons, again, because of that success rate. Now, right now with the URI, they're in this limbo, right? A lot of freshmen, a lot of maturing to do. And and I know these storylines are getting old, but we keep kind of resulting to them. But David Cox was honest. 
in his post-game press conference. And we have some sound from it from both David Cox and one of his uh, big-time players, Fats Russell. Let's take a listen. Yeah, I was just um, playing in the Florida offense. Um, I asked this guy to left me to uh, trust me in the beginning of the year, and he's been doing that, and I haven't been holding on to um, my side of the bargain. So um, from now on, I, I promise him that. I'm a truth teller. Somebody told me once, you know, in my lifetime that everybody, particularly all athletes, need a truth teller in their life, you know, and uh, I'm their truth teller. So, you know, I'm going to let them know exactly what it is and where they stand and, uh, you know, hopefully they respond accordingly. You know, we're obviously I'm trying to develop young basketball players, but also it's our responsibility to develop young men, you know, and uh, in developing young men, you have to hear the truth and you have to learn how to respond to the truth and you have to learn how to respond to adversity. So that's what we're trying to do here. You know, that's our, you know, that's, that's our mission. So there's a lot there, right? There's, there's fat saying, you know, the, the trust he's, when he says referring to the guy to his left, that's coach Cox. And, and you can tell there's a trust factor there. And from coach Cox's perspective, why is there trust with his players like that? Well, one, again, I mean, he's in his first year as the head coach, but he's been around this program. He knows his players. But there's a new thing that I am going to associate with Rhode Island basketball after a press conference like that, and that's this. That's honesty. Honesty is so important to the success of programs uh, at the professional level, at the collegiate level, anything. It is so important Um, to be honest with your players, with your staff, with yourself. And I think David Cox knocked this post-game press conference out of the park. Again, it's only a game that pushes you to 9-7, and back to 2-2 and in Atlantic 10 play. But you look at those shooting numbers against um, George Mason, 3 of 25. You bounce back, and to me, after hearing what Coach Cox said, there's no surprise why the Rams bounce back, and that's because of this honesty. Uh, and he says that, the truth teller, right? He's, he's honest and upfront with his players, and that's what you need, especially some of these freshmen that are maturing into roles. Now, the, the other freshmen that we've dealt with, the, the past uh, freshmen, really, if you're Jeff Downton, right, you're coming in with a team that's already star-studded, with guys that are kind of proving themselves that want an NCAA, cha- uh, NCAA appearance, and they get just that two years ago and then last year as well. But the freshman class before that, or a couple times before that, with E.C. Matthews, Hassan Martin, then Jared Terrell and Jarvis Garrett, these guys didn't have any expectations to live up to, right? And that kind of made it easier for them to slide under the radar when they performed bad. It was easier for them to say they're just freshmen. Uh, and then E.C. Matthews, of course, his freshman year, the last nine games, completely turned it on, had double figures each of the last nine games. And we kind of started to see the wheels turn, and then Jared Terrell came in, he was the top 100, so on and so forth. But... The bigger point is this, is these student-athletes that are coming in now for URI, the expectation is there that they have to live up to, and it's putting more pressure on them. It's putting more pressure on David Cox. But Cox having that honesty with his team has proven to me now more than ever that this guy is a leader. I like Coach Cox as a man, as an individual, but as a coach too, and we can see that now. And uh, for you Providence College fans out there, there's a lot of Ed Cooley in David Cox's voice. Cooley kind of comes across a little bit more as a hothead sometimes, especially when he's frustrated. But you can tell Cooley is honest with his players. And I can see that in David Cox is the honesty that he brings to the table, and it's so important. The last thing from that sound I want to bring up is is how he talks about you know maturing young adults right about there's that line how he wants to develop basketball players but he wants to develop men too and I think we see this in both men's and women's athletics particularly at the collegiate level you know we use the word student a lot right student athlete so those two terms are always used uh, student comes up a lot when you're talking about the NCAA sanctions and stuff like that like well they're students first so we're always beating that like a dead horse, the student part to the student athlete. And obviously the athlete is what we see. We see them on the court. You don't see them in the classroom. You see them shooting three-pointers. You don't see them doing their homework. Um, But we forget that there's a third dynamic, and it's a young man or a young woman, that is changing. And this is probably the only side to a college athlete that I can really um, relate to. And that's you have somebody that's also in the maturing time of their life. And when David Cox comes to a press conference and says that's one of his roles, his jobs, is to make sure he matures young adults, that's so important to, again, continuing to develop his own culture. Rhode Island basketball under Dan Hurley was a lot of rebuild and then explosives, right? A lot of rebuild, and now we're geared and ready to go. Under David Cox, you have those expectations in place. You have that hard-nosed defensive Rhode Island basketball, 
But more important than not, there is an honesty factor from David Cox's program right now. I saw that in that post-game press conference, and that's something you can talk about around the dinner table. A couple more things here, folks, before we talk to Tim McComb from 98.5 The Sports Hub. But another thing you could bring up tonight, talk to your grandma about, and I know I sure am, is the lack of defense in the NBA. The lack of defense. And I don't even think it's a problem per se. I'm just bringing this up because it's something I saw. And I, and I looked last night on Wednesday night. There were eight games in the NBA. 16 teams, obviously, because there's two teams per game. 100 points or more were scored in all 16 teams. So all eight of the eight games, every single team had scored over 100 points. 11 of the 16 teams scored over 110. Seven of the 16 teams scored over 120. And four of the 16, 25%, scored over 140 points. Now, granted, one of those two games, again, there's the four teams, the Nets-Rockets game went to overtime, so that'll give you some more um, minutes to put up points. But 145 to 142, the final there, Nets over the Rockets. And then the Pelicans-Warriors game, uh, at home at Oracle for the Golden State Warriors, 147 to 140, the Warriors beat the Pelicans. No overtime. The point here is that offenses are changing in the NBA. Um, you're going more to positionless offense, right? Spreading the ball. What position is James Harden? He's really your point guard, but he's putting up points like a shooting guard, or is there really even a guard position now between a shooting guard and a point guard? Are big men big men, or are they just larger guards? Um, You're spreading out the offenses. The paint isn't coming as physical as it has been in past generations. I don't think this is a bad thing. I'm just pointing this out because it's a change in the culture of NBA basketball. Um, I'm not saying defense is thrown out the window per se. What I'm telling you is though there's going to be less defense during the beginning portions of the games you're going to see defense down the stretch of close games in the fourth quarter but other than that these spread offenses where you have five guys out there that can shoot the three ball and really continue to assert their dominance on the offensive end. And when you have star power, right, the James Hardens, the LeBron Jameses still, the Kevin Durants, the Steph Currys, uh, even Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving in the East, when you have players like that, oh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, I have to give him credit, of course, when it's due. When you have players like this that are that are really highlight real players, offenses are going to continue to get this. Why? Because defenses don't make highlight reels. Offenses make Highlight reels. In the NFL, right, defenses make highlight reels. In the MLB, defenses make uh, defensive plays make highlight reels. Goalies in the NHL make highlight reels. In the NBA, very rarely are you going to get a highlight of a guy making a defensive play, and if you do, it leads to a bucket on the offensive end, right? It's always the the pick in the pocket, right? Fats Russell is a perfect example. If you want to look at Rhode Island, it's a, at the collegiate level, but he picks Trey Young's pocket and then hits the three. If he doesn't hit that three, that doesn't become nearly as iconic to Rhode Island fans as it did last year in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So that's at the college level, but again, just kind of illustrating the highlight point. NBA offenses are going to the spread offenses. They've had been this way. And defense, what you're seeing is coaches going back to just teaching fundamentals in terms of offense at the, at the younger levels all the way up to the NBA. Clay Thompson just had a press conference. Uh, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame or something, recognized as high school coach, but he had said his high school coach and Steve Kerr have the same mindset. They're going through fundamentals every single day. A high school coach and then a coach that has won multiple rings in the NBA. That's what we're seeing now, folks. We are seeing NBA offenses spread it out, go back to fundamentals, and just score the basketball. That's something you can talk about at the dinner table. Now, the last thing sports-related to talk about tonight is Kyler Murray. Uh, He made some headlines, obviously, because he won the Heisman, and uh, he represented Oklahoma in the college football playoff as their quarterback and everything else in between. But Murray has this interesting storyline to him where he's going to be the first-ever player to be drafted in the first round of both the MLB and the NFL draft. Uh, and people, some people have problems with this, right? The NFL is dangerous. Why are you going to the NFL? Stick to baseball. You had a $4.7 million contract, uh, getting ready to ink it and play baseball in Oakland for the athletics. Um, I'm not saying whether I agree or disagree with Kyler Murray, but what I'm telling you is this, is 
NCAA football made this decision for Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray played a full year, won a Heisman, represented a team in the college football playoff, and he saw the glitz and the glamour lifestyle that football players, even at the collegiate level, live. Now, I don't go to a Power 5 school. I'm not in the interior of a college football program. But I'm telling you this, folks. If you surveyed every single college baseball player and every single college football player and asked them which one lived a better lifestyle in college, it's the football players that are telling you they did, especially at the Power 5 level. Kyler Murray played for a team like Oklahoma with history. He won the Heisman, and he saw his value as an individual over an athlete. And then what sport can help Kyler Murray grow as an individual? And that's where baseball gets thrown out the window and football takes the forefront. Football, even if you start off as a second stringer, you're still in the pros every single day. Baseball, you can be the number one draft pick, and you're starting off in some farm league system where the only thing going for you is the local chilies. That's not exactly the lifestyle. Now, when you get to the pros, baseball players make a lot of money. But the amount of money Kyler Murray is going to make over the fact he's just a number one pick, uh, or a no, first round pick rather, in two drafts, the first to ever do that, and his Heisman, and his glitz and glamour. His dad played sports, right? So there's the family aspect to him. Kyler Murray made this decision based on what NCAA football does. Now, here's my final point on this. If you notice, and now you will because I'm pointing it out, the NCAA takes pride in the NCAA tournament for basketball. They brand themselves so well as the forefront NCAA tournament. For football, the NCAA kind of hides their nose. They're in charge of it, but they brand themselves in this unique way that's only similar to the way that the NFL brands themselves. You have Imagine Dragons SEC highlights every single day on ESPN, even when college football is three months in the past. They brand themselves so well, that is attractive to a player like Kyler Murray that has a lot going for him, and he's a great athlete. He's going to make money whether he's on the baseball diamond or on the gridiron. You can book that. That's something that you can talk about at the dinner table. Last thing to bring up today, and it's for, uh, I hesitate to say I'm a 90s kid because I was born in 1997, so I only had three years in the 90s. I don't remember a single thing from it. But for my early 2000s folks out there, kids or not, would somebody put Whose Line Is It Anyway on Netflix or Hulu? Would somebody get it on their streaming platform? I mean, I watch reruns of it. I watch hour-long compilations of scenes from a hat on uh, YouTube. I need Whose Line Is It Anyway on a streaming platform like I need oxygen. Man, that show's funny. Wayne Bray now, I see him on Let's Make a Deal, and I'm saying, oh, this guy's great. Still, I could watch, watch Let's Make a Deal, you know, for three hours because of Wayne Brady. Put him back on doing some improv, right? Get him with Colin Mockery, Ryan Stiles, Drew Carey, and uh, there was a guy, Chip, who was one of the replacements, Gre uh, Greg Proops, who was so funny. These comedians were great. Brad Sherwood, these guys were great. Great stuff. Somebody put them on a streaming platform, because I'll tell you what, I put it on Twitter this way, I'll give you my entire wallet. Now, my wallet itself is worth more than what I actually have in the wallet, and my wallet I bought at the URI bookstore, it's got the logo on it, so that'll put in perspective that it's not exactly uh, a Gucci wallet. But I'll tell you, I'll give you my whole wallet to either Netflix or Hulu, whoever can get Whose Line Is It Anyway onto their streaming platform. That's something you can talk about at the dinner table. Bring those things to the dinner table, put those phones away, talk to grandma, talk to mom, talk to your siblings, talk to dad, aunts and uncles, bring them all together, have yourselves a family dinner. We're going to take a quick second. After this quick music, we're going to come back with Tim McCone from 98.5 The Sports Hub and Channel 10 in Cranston. Stick around. Episode 11 of the Stone Freeman Podcast continues to roll on, and we bring on our guest today. He works for 98.5 The Sports Hub out of Boston, Massachusetts, and then out of Cranston, Rhode Island, NBC10. Uh, here in the Ocean State, we have Tim McComb. Tim, thanks for joining us. Ten people before I got the invite Ten. onto the podcast. Actually, huh? in episode three, had two guests. So. <laughs> Brutal. Brutal. <laughs> yeah, All right. Good been, to know where I stand. Yeah. All right, nice. Yeah, so uh, Tim is a big college basketball fan. We want to talk about that. We also want to talk about uh, Celtics and uh, 
Patriots, too, with the Celtics in a little bit of a limbo here and the Patriots going into the conference championship. But, Tim, before we get anywhere, uh, recapping a little bit more about you, you are on 95 The Sports Hub here at Channel 10. Uh, You work with Frank Carpano and Joe Chiata here at 10. Two legends. Yeah, two legends. And at 98.5, you work with... Everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about, about your role at each spot. All right, sure. I am uh, a sports anchor and reporter here at NBC10, and I actually got my start here. I interned uh, at Channel 10 back in my college days at, at Roger Williams, and then uh, went and did TV at a school in my hometown of uh, Worcester. And then a few years ago, got the call to come back here. And I've been here for now two and a half years. Wow. And then 98.5, it's been a lot longer than that. I started in radio. Uh, in Worcester as well, at WTAG, and uh, I did the intermission reports for Worcester Sharks games. It must uh, have been electric content. That team got moved shortly <laughs> after I started, so what does that tell you about the relocation process? That happened pretty fast after they let me on the air. Uh, and so then after that, I somehow weaseled my way into 98.5, and I've been at 98.5 now for four and a half years, I think it is. So it's All been, on air, too? Yeah, it's been, a wow. long, it's been a long ride at 98.5. It's been really fun. So I uh, love both spots, and it's been, uh, it's been pretty cool. Yeah. So the Sharks left Worcester, but now you're taking the Pawtucket Red Sox. Taking the Paw Sox. Wow. We still have... ECHL hockey in Worcester too. I things are happening. Things yeah. are happening. In the Isn't there an arena football league too? There is the Mass Pirates, yeah. big uh, sponsor on 98.5 yeah. The Sports Hub. So we'll give them a plug as well. And I also don't mean to, you know, Providence College fans and Rhode Island fans can plug your ears, but Worcester has more national championships on the basketball court than fact than the state of Rhode Island combined. My guy Togo Palazzi, <laughs> Bob Cousy, Tommy Heinsohn. We can go right down the yeah. lists. Yeah, absolutely. So, and uh, you know, I'll tell you this: you're a big URI football guy, right? Yeah, huge, huge. Gordy Lockbaum yeah. finished third in the Heisman, played uh, running back, yeah. and also played uh, D-back, played both sides of the ball in the late 80s. Wow. Uh, legend. That My is... little league coach. Really? Yeah. And this is all happening in Worcester. In Worcester, yes. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. There's a great picture up at Holy Cross of uh, Fit and Field, which usually, they're rebuilding the program right now, yeah. but I would say right now it holds about, I think, 22,000, 23,000. Really? Usually there's about 600 people there for nice, games. Nice, nice. Uh, but there's a great shot when they were playing Doug Flutie yeah. of the place just banged out. And then there's wow. a helicopter at the top of the hill for Flutie to take to the Heisman ceremony. Yeah. It's a really cool picture. Now, isn't there some type of history to – didn't Gavitt want – Holy Cross for a hot second in the Big East. I mean, we I could t- if you want to go down the Holy Cross rabbit yeah. hole, we can absolutely do it. So, Just real quick. Real all right, quick. ready? Kareem yeah. Abdul-Jabbar is final three when he was getting recruited with yeah. St. John's, UCLA, and I'm not making this up, Holy, Holy Cross, because his high school coach yeah. ended up being the head coach at Holy Cross. Wow. And then, yeah, originally uh, Holy Cross was going to be a, a member of the Big East, or they wanted it, but they went academics. They wanted to be uh, – uh, Focus more on academics, and that really kind of tanked the athletic program because eventually they took away scholarships entirely wow. in the late 80s. And at that point, they were still uh, a dominant 1AA team in football. They had Mark Duffner as their head coach. I think they ran the table. This was when Lockbaum was there. Yeah. And that staff like, is a who's who, Mike Sherman, a bunch of dudes that you would actually recognize. Yeah. Um, and then I think two years after they took away scholarships, football program like in the yeah. tank and then... Yeah, slowly, slowly making our way back, though. Yeah. So, so we have a lot of people in this state that could That have tuned out yeah, in that, the first 45 like, seconds. If, no, well, people are tuning out already. That's what happens whenever I'm on <laughs> yeah. air. But uh, for that matter, you got you know people around this whole state that can tell you about Providence College basketball, URI basketball, but you are the Holy Cross expert. Oh, I, I, I Was love, that on your list, though? Did you have that Holy Cross on your list of schools? You went to Roger Williams, it was Holy Cross. Yeah, Colorado? surprisingly, I was yeah. not uh, not recruited at the Division One level. I wanted to play college oh, you sports. Played, oh, it right. didn't go so well in college, that. despite me yeah. only playing Division Three. Yeah. Anyways, it didn't, <laughs> what sport did you play? Didn't know basketball. Ah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, by my sophomore year, that, that dream was dead as yeah. well. So, uh, no. Look, a Holy Cross academically, by the way, yeah. was not really an option for me Makes as well. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there you happens. go. That yeah. happens. Generally, but, number three sports guys don't do well <laughs> academically. <Yeah. laughs> well, it depends. It also depends on what you're doing. You do get to do a lot of cool stuff, though, even though you're the number three, right? Absolutely. I, I mean, love both my jobs. I'm with the yeah. Patriots every week, which is unbelievable. Today, for instance, I started Gillette, and then I'm going to end at the dunk for uh, PCC and all. So, I, I, look, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, really lucky. 
Well, let, let's talk a little bit about professional basketball first, because I do I know how much college basketball you know, but uh, professional basketball. We haven't done too much of that on this podcast, and I think just uh, you know you're surrounded kind of with Boston sports right now, and I think the Celtics are kind of flying under the radar because if you want to even date back way to October, right? The Red Sox win the World Series, then it's Patriots everywhere around this time of year, uh, but the Celtics are struggling, right? I mean, 25 and 18 right now, it's and unbelievable. Uh, there's a there's a Marcus Morris, Jalen Brown beef all of a sudden. And uh, a lot of different storylines, but, uh, you know, what's kind of going on? What, what's up with this funk, if, if you could, you know, analyze it? All right, so for me, I think there's yeah. two things as a Celtics fan you look at, and I kind of pointed to before this three-game losing streak, yep. which was one, if I go back to 2008, they started 27-3. and three, yep. And a lot of that, I think, had to do with not only bringing the big three together, but each one of those guys kind of had a defined role and accepted that role going into the season. Last year... I think it was probably the second second biggest offseason of the Celtics mm-hmm. in terms of you bring Kyrie Irving in, you bring Gordon Hayward in, and you're kind of rebooting the franchise. But then Gordon Hayward goes down the first six minutes, and again, now all of a sudden it becomes Kyrie's team. You've got younger pieces around him, but again, roles were kind of defined. This year, unbelievable talent on this roster, but there wasn't really a whole lot of Define roles going into sure. the season. Like Jason Tatum was the guy in the postseason last year. Jalen Brown to some extent as well. And now both of those guys are taking a back seat. And I just I don't think roles were defined enough going into the season. And that was going to take some time, which we've seen in the past too. The Heat, when they first got together, when it was LeBron, Bosch, and Wade kind of went through similar growing pains. And then I also think Gordon Hayward coming back from that injury was going to take some time as well. Slowly, you're starting to see some of that come back in terms of just the explosion and him being the player he was. That being said, I thought it was going to take some time. I didn't think it was going to be like this. It looks like right now you're probably... You're probably going to have to make a move, I would think, and yeah, just you shake up the roster a little bit because right now, clearly, this mix, there's something there, first of all, in the locker room, it seems like, and then it just it hasn't worked. Yeah. Now, you didn't mention one big name, and that's the head coach, Brad Stevens. Uh, from my perspective, it seems like, in particular in New England, uh, it starts with the Patriots again, right? Nobody ever, con- or for a while, nobody questioned Belichick, right? He was almighty. Uh, Belichick, though, has the resume with him. Brad Stevens has the respect factor, um, but it seems like still, like, similar to what Alex Cora now has too. Uh, it seems like we're not we're not questioning the moves of guys that we have respect for. But what do Cora and Belichick have championships? Brad Stevens. When does he make that jump too? Well, look, I, I think Brad Stevens is the second best coach in in the NBA. Sure, I have a ton of respect for him. And, and look, you, everyone makes fun of the fact that oh, great Butler, whatever. Yeah. I just think the job he did there, first of all, in that first season, but then the second one. Uh, when they came back and they made it to the uh, the championship game with Matt Howard and Sheldon Mack. And I just think X's and O's, there's nobody better than Brad Stevens, really. And look, yeah, this is different because now you're, you're dealing with personalities, and that's probably the biggest difference instead of X's and O's on the court. Sure. He's got to deal with you know people that want to be the guy and, and kind of, I think, probably some diva personalities. Kyrie Irving. Strange dude. Yeah. You know what really? I mean? <laughs> Weird. Like, if yeah. you listen to that that Bill Simmons podcast that he did last summer, you walk away from that and you go, this is an interesting guy. Yeah. This is a dude that's not well, really. This is a guy that thought the earth was yeah, flat. Yeah, exactly. Right? right? So. That probably should have tipped us off, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, look, so I think, again, I, I don't think there's another coach that I really want in here. I just think it's going to take some time. Ultimately, they're going to figure things out. But you're right. There's some growing pains with Brad Stevens as well because this is a situation that he hasn't dealt with either. But I'm like the the last thing in the world I would start doing is questioning if Brad Stevens sure. is the right guy for this job because yeah. I don't think you're going to find a coach that's better than that. I don't. I, and I I don't think he's on the hot seat or anything. No, like absolutely. That. No but, one's saying that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But I just look around the rest of the NBA like. Being a head coach in the NBA is so thankless. Yeah. It really is. Because if you win, it's because you had superstar. Like Phil Jackson. You, well, you had Kobe and Shaq. Yeah. Even like Bre- Greg Popovich. Um, well, you had Tim Duncan. You had, like, I just, in the NFL, I think you get a lot more respect if you're a coach. Yeah. Uh, even in Major League Baseball, it's the same thing. In the NBA, it's such a thankless job. Such a thankless job. Yeah. Well, Brad Stevens, uh, again, you talked about Butler. One thing I will add. Uh, to his Butler days, he did face Dan Hurley in the Rhode Island Rams once, and it was that hot second that Butler was, was in, in the A-10, A-10, absolutely, and Brad was still there. And there is, and I'm going to find it now. I'm going to add it to the end of this podcast just to prove people where Brad Stevens says, 
Dan's got a good thing going for him here. URI is going to be good and check us out, right? Look well, at that. Well, now times have changed, right? College basketball at the University of Rhode Island has changed to UConn, right? That's where Hurley is, and that's your spot. Ah, diehard UConn yeah. fan. How did you become a UConn? Fan? My whole family. I, I so my parents. Uh, I'm grew up in Worcester. I was born in Worcester. My parents moved there, but my whole family is from Connecticut. Yeah. So, my first words as a kid were "Go, Chris Smith." He was the point guard. At UConn at the time, back in like 92, really? I think, 91, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so there you go. So your college basketball, professional basketball, what you talk so much about sports overall, um, but you don't really have an outlet to talk college basketball, right? No. College basketball, surprisingly, yeah. not huge in New England, especially yeah. in the Boston market. I mean, it just doesn't right. It doesn't play. Well, I'm thinking to myself, too, like at this job here at Channel 10, uh, it's more of, right, the X's and O's. You have to be very objective, correct? And then at 98.5, you have room for opinion, but... Nobody's talking Jim Christian and Boston College basketball in Boston. Right. right. So I would love to have gotten on the airwaves on Saturday when PC loses and they don't yeah. foul in the end of regulation and they don't foul at the end of the first overtime and talk. I could have talked about that for days. Yeah. And you're Just right. Just five seconds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I, you know, here you kind of show the highlights. You give post game. Uh, you know, you give post game sound and then you kind of move on, right? And there is really isn't that outlet to talk about that kind of stuff because you're right in Boston, you know. Look, Providence and URI are both huge here, but in Boston, it doesn't really play. No. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that college basketball here in uh, in the Ocean State. Um, in particular, um, the move in the offseason, because it kind of goes with both the school you cover and then a school that you like. Uh, Hurley going to the University of Connecticut. Uh, it sucks for URI, but <laughs> really a home run hire for the University of Connecticut. Would that, you agree? I, look, I can't understate this enough. Yeah. I was in full-blown panic mode. When the rumors started coming out that Pitt was going to come over the top and offer him more, and ultimately I think they did offer him more money, but I was very nervous because I thought outside of Hurley there wasn't a head coach that was going to get UConn back to where, and look, they're probably never going to be a perennial power in terms of being a top 10 team like like Calhoun had a role in the mid-2000s, but I think that they certainly are capable of competing for Final Fours, and Outside of Hurley, I don't think there's another guy on the market, especially this year, uh, that could have gotten the program to back to the, that kind of status. Yeah. Hurley, I think, is absolutely capable of it, and I, I would be stunned within if within the next five years they don't have a legitimate shot at a Final Four. I think that's the trajectory that they're going to be. I just, I think it was the best possible hire they could have made. And I also think, too, at least from what we heard from reports in March and uh, when, when the hire was going down, it didn't seem like UConn had exactly had a second option either. No. It seemed like they were going all in on Dan. No, a lot of people were like, well, Tom Crean? I'm like, look, if Tom Crean is coming in here, like, we, are in, we are in a world of hurt. The world of hurt. So, look, again, Home run higher for UConn. He's already crushing on the on the recruiting trail. They have a top twenty five class already, and he probably still is going to bring in one or two more guys to that. Um, it's going to take some time just because the cupboard was bared. I was a huge uh, Kevin Ollie guy at the beginning of it because I loved keeping it in house. Yeah. Uh, two thousand fourteen was unbelievable, but I mean the, the last two years were inexcusable. And clearly, it wasn't just that they weren't getting it done on the court. But the the whole culture of that program was just it went in the tank so fast sure. it was unbelievable because even three years ago, you know they make it to the second round of the NCAA tournament and it's even that team there just wasn't something there was something off yeah and it, it got a lot worse once Daniel Hamilton kind of surprised everyone declared for the draft they kind of hit home runs with a couple fifth year grad transfers once those guys left. It, it got ugly. Yeah. It got really ugly. So, yeah, look, it's going to take Hurley some time because there wasn't a lot left. Uh, but ultimately, I think, again, the recruiting class coming in, uh, he's going to get things figured out. And already you can just tell the, the culture at UConn has already changed, which is a huge thing. And as a URI guy, you, look, you, you watch more Hurley than even I have. It, that's the one thing I'll say about him, the intensity that he brings on a day-in and day-out basis and the way that he gets those guys to buy in. Sure. Unbelievable. And already you can see it at UConn, there's a difference. And look, the record isn't great right now. I think they've lost four of the last five. Yeah. But they they lost at Cincinnati in overtime, competed their asses off. Like, it's just, it's a different product now yeah. than what it was last year. And it's not like uh, Dan's working with much right now at the university. No, absolutely not. Look, I mean, they, they had a couple uh, of high recruits. But I'll, I'll say this, the biggest issue I had with Kevin Ollie too, is outside of the culture thing, was that, 
there just wasn't player development taking place. Like, Amita Brahma came in and was not a heralded recruit, but this freshman year you saw, like, you saw that he had some some legitimate skills to work with, and you're like, man, by his senior year, this kid is going to be a real player because he's a good shot blocker, could finish around the rim, and he left, and he was a good shot blocker, and he could kind of finish around the rim, and that was it. And no like, stride, no yeah, stride. Yeah, there's just nothing. And Jalen Adams, the same thing, top 30 recruit, came in his freshman year, and like some of the decisions he still makes, you're like, what are we doing? Yeah, like, I just, uh, yeah, just uh, you just didn't see it. And it's weird, too, because, like, when he first took over and was an assistant for Calhoun and was working with the guards, like, Kemba from his freshman to junior year, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Shabazz, freshman to senior year, unbelievable. Ryan Boatwright, freshman to senior year. Like, you saw such growth out of these guards, and even the guards now, it's just like, you don't see, you didn't see it. You didn't mm-hmm. see the growth. And, and I think with Hurley, uh, that's changing. Yeah. Now let's talk about the man that replaced Dan Hurley at URI. We're going to get into Providence too, but yeah. uh, David Cox. Uh, I know you probably haven't seen too much of him lately, um, but now they're in Atlantic 10 play. Mm-hmm. They lost, embarrassing loss on Sunday to George Mason. Um, what, what have you thought of David Cox overall and uh, the Rams program? Well, look, I mean, for him, I'm happy that he got the job, and I think it was the right move to try to keep it in-house in terms of try to keep the momentum of the program going in the right direction and keep that recruiting class together outside of uh, Brendan Adams, who went with Hurley. Um, It's a brutal spot to be in, though. To to, to follow a guy like Dan Hurley is tough, but they're going to figure things out. I mean, there's still a ton of talent on that team, and look, I wouldn't surprise me at all. Obviously, you know, an at-large bid is impossible. But if they got hot towards the end and and Cyril and Fats kind of caught fire for a weekend, Mm -hmm. and I think Jeff – I love Jeff Downs' game. He's great. I just think he's an unbelievable player. So those three guys I think could certainly get hot in the A-10 tournament, and you could make a run in another – uh, you know, at, uh, at another NCAA tournament bid. And then, like, the freshmen are freshmen. And, yeah. you know, eventually I think that's going to get going as well. So I'll say this. Fats kind of reminds me of Shabazz Napier at sure. UConn in terms of his freshman year. He was coming off the bench. And this is in 2011 when they won their first uh, championship with him. Uh, and he's a six-man. And it just every time he gave you a spark yeah. and it fit, and then his sophomore year, he takes over, and he's the guy, and he's playing all of a sudden 35 minutes. And it just kind of seemed overwhelming. He took some bad shots. Like, things weren't necessarily the way you expected him to be. I just think, ultimately, Fats is going to figure it out like Shabazz did because by his junior and senior year, he kind of grew into that role. Yeah. It's a tough transition to go from six man to being a starting point guard. And not only that, to have to shoulder the amount of the scoring that Fats has to do for them to be successful, uh, the decision-making. He's going to figure it out. I think they have three really, really good players. And as the season goes on here, you're going to see more maturity from Fats' game. And I think he's going to kind of, kind of uh, hit a stride. Yeah, I, I just think, too, at a, uh, at a certain level, at the mid-major level, right, you don't lose five seniors. And uh, there's, like, there's always a transition. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And a huge part of that culture that Dan Hurley built was Terrell, E.C. Matthews, yeah. those guys. And, like, even you go back a couple of years and, like, Hassan Martin, like, those I've – those are the people when you think of URI basketball that you kind of think of, and to lose all those guys, uh, yeah, it was going to be a big transition, no question about it. But again, the talent level at URI is still, I think, legitimate. Like they have some. Jeff Downton is good. He's a very, very yeah. good player. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, Jeff is. A, I was just looking at the game notes for tomorrow's. We're recording here on a Tuesday. We got the game on uh, Wednesday night against St. Bonaventure. I was looking. Jeff is now one. He's only in his juniors one assist uh, shy of the top ten. Yeah. He's just so smooth. Yeah. It doesn't like the game never speeds up on him. No. He always seems under control, and, and his best games are really against big teams. Yeah, right? I mean West Virginia is not very good this year, mm-hmm. but he performed his ass off against West Virginia. And then those NCAA tournament games uh, are probably Jeff's best. Yeah. So I yeah. think there's a there's a lot of room to grow there. But uh, one other team I want to talk about is Providence College. Um, ugly loss to Georgetown. They're going to play Seton Hall tonight. They're going to go on the road to play Marquette in a couple days. Did we get a score on Seton Hall? Is that yeah, they're yet? down as I uh, uh, last I saw. Let's see if we can pull that up for you. Dave O'Brien on the call of another Fox Sports game? He I is. Get them all. He yeah. is. Unbelievable. But anyway, Ed Cooley, five straight NCAA tournaments. Uh, makes it fun around here, especially mm-hmm. right covering a team like that. Um, but Cooley, too. It seems like uh, we're talking a little bit about coaching with Brad Stevens and Dan Hurley and David Cox. 
Cooley Mine is what may, may be the best recruiter right now, uh, at least in this region, right? Ed can bring some guys to Providence that probably shouldn't be in Providence. But uh, it, it seems like there are a couple question marks with Ed Cooley uh, down the stretch of some games. Well, look, the Georgetown game, I know he said that they tried to foul at the end of regulation. Because, look, I, I, my whole thing is if it's under seven seconds and you're up three, that should be automatic. Yeah. I think it's, like, inexcusable not to foul. And I know some people go back and forth because, oh, if you put them on the line, you're potentially giving them a chance. Uh, Providence down three at the half right now to Seton Hall. That you're giving a chance that maybe they can win. Like, you have to foul in that situation. You have to. And then both those spots uh, I would have fouled. I know he said they tried to. It's a young team. Uh, There's going to be a huge change there, too, because you lose Bullock, you lose Jalen Lindsey, and you lose uh, Kyron Cartwright. So, obviously, there's going to be some change there. And then the A.J. Reeves injury. Brutal, Brutal because he yeah. he looked like a legitimate. I think he's going to be an NBA player ultimately. Well, that and, shot and is two unreal. or three done. Uh, yeah, I don't think he. I bet he ends up leaving a year early because he's so really? smooth. Yeah, I just I love his game. Yeah. So that was a tough loss because I don't think they have anyone right now that you can look at and be like, go get go get us a basket. Yeah. I know Alpha maybe, but still like I don't. I just think of Alpha as a guy that does everything. Sure. And AJ Reeves was a guy that can really go out and get you a bucket. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, it, especially from Cooley's perspective, too. Uh, Friar fans might want to pump the brakes a little bit because if you don't make the tournament, you're coming off five straight. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty darn yeah, good. Yeah, let's name. not go back to the Keno Davis yes. series, right? Oh, There's a big wow. difference between that and, you know, yeah. Greedy Peterson throwing it off the backboard to himself and dunking on Syracuse when they're down 25. Like that, that was like the highlight that's of those years. That's a yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, look, I don't know. It's going to it's gonna be interesting. Uh, this is going to be a tough year for them. I don't think it's going to be six straight. Maybe I'm wrong, yeah. but... Uh, Again, the transition, that's fine. They're going to be really good in a couple of years. Yeah. They're going to be really, really good. And that's probably going to be his best team yet, you know, because if Reeves is an upperclassman and David Duke, I think, is going to come along. My guy from Worcester, Makai Ashton Lankford, Ooh, certainly been playing good. really well over the last yeah. couple of years. A guy that uh, they poached from UConn. Um, we won't get into that. <laughs> but look, I, I think that, yeah, this year's there, there's going to be some growing pains, and the A.J. Reeves injury certainly doesn't help. Great win against Texas on the road, though. Yeah, good and point. And like that, that was nice, but then the Big East is tough. Big yeah. East is tough. Even on a down year, right? Even on a down year. I'll say this. It's going to be really interesting to see in terms of the recruiting, because you're right. I think Cooley had it absolutely rolling in these last couple of years and really did establish himself as the program in New England, sure. which should never happen. Yeah. Like, it should ne- when you're in the same region as UConn? It should right. never happen. Yeah. But now Dan Hurley and the recruiting class he's bringing in, yeah. uh, it's going to be interesting to see if that flips because yeah. obviously they got a huge commitment with the Cook, uh, came in as top 30 recruit, picked UConn, and uh, Providence was one of the teams he's that got an official. next year. Well, he's practicing with the team right now. So wow. he enrolled at UConn this semester. Yeah. He's not going to play, but yeah. he'll be there uh, next year too. So I'll be interested to see because I think there are going to be some really – Good recruiting battles coming up yeah. here in the next couple of years with Cooley and Hurley. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'll throw uh, my Rams into that mix for just a second here for one reason. The staffs at URI, UConn, and uh, Providence are strong, right? I mean, Cooley's got Jeff Battle, I think, who recruited mm-hmm. Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Cox's staff is just unique because yeah. it's got him as the head coach. Yep. And then you get a guy like John Carroll that was the Celtics head coach. Yeah. And then you look at... Hurley staff, which I know we were breaking down earlier from Tom Moore. I mean, there's legit nine guys between these three staffs combined that are high-level assistant coaches. Yeah, and like really, really, really elite recruiters. Yeah. And I think you're right to put URI in there too because they've been landing people that they like that typically you wouldn't associate with URI no. in the past. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's not like a, a dig at URI. I'm just saying that they've been crushing on the recruiting trail. Yeah. Like Jermaine Harris. Top 100 recruit. You go back, though, to some of the dudes that he was landing before. Like, yeah. The fact that Terrell, who was a top 60 recruit, yeah. like ended up flipping from Oklahoma State to, to come to URI was huge. EC obviously was probably the first real big recruit that he yeah. landed. But um, I think it's going to be really interesting because all three of those uh, programs can recruit. And all three of them kind of look for the same type of players. That's sure. like a hard-nosed, like, I don't know, I just – old school kind of Big East basketball guy like to, you want guys that are tough and I yeah. think all three of those coaches look for the same thing sure uh, we'll segue a little bit away from basketball here final thing I want to talk about and that's uh, football yes yeah. like I said football kind of takes the front seat in this region and it's a pretty big game this weekend the Patriots going to play in their eighth straight AFC championship really yeah, is that it yeah. I, I, you know what I'd never I'll, I'm going to double check that stat I haven't heard that well, yet well I was going to say the sports hub doesn't talk about the Patriots at all at all, no, at all. It's at all. they don't get any wrong it's it's kind of similar to college basketball. Yeah, exactly. Nobody's talking about Patriots. It's all college hockey. Yeah. 
But uh, Pat Mahomes in the way, Andy Reid in the way, in Arrowhead Stadium. It's going to be like 13. Joe's going, you said? Joe Kayata's yeah. going? It's going to be like 12 degrees. So. Is it, uh, the last I looked, it's going to be a high of 10 and most likely in the negatives. Oh, yeah. an Arctic chill. Bundle up, Joe. Yeah, but, uh, good luck. Well, so recent Frank isn't going to that game. Oh, because the cold. Yeah, not, uh, not a cold weather guy. Nah, clearly no. not. That's why he no. spent his whole career in Rhode Island. Right? <laughs> I'll tell you what. You want to talk about a guy that would not get recruited by these uh, staffs that we just talked about? <laughs> Mike Frank. <Matt> Frank. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Frank's at the PC game tonight, right? Yeah, that's yeah where absolutely. That's where you're heading after this? Yes, yeah. Going to yeah. go get some post game. Yeah. Hopefully of their first biggies one of the year. Yeah, so let's wrap yeah. up quick with, with some Patriots talk, though. Uh, what are your general thoughts on this game, right? It's a rematch. The Patriots won uh, the first yeah, time these two teams played, 40, right? right? Yeah, it was a shootout. Uh, I don't see it that way, just the way the Patriots' defense has evolved and the Kansas City defense plays at home. Uh, what do you think about this game, though, overall? Look, I thought they were going to get rolled by the Chargers. Yeah. I, I thought they were going to get I, I really did. The Chargers, I know everyone says the Chargers are the Chargers, but they had gone into Seattle. They had gone into Baltimore the yeah. week before. They had gone to Pittsburgh. Like They had gone to Kansas City and won. Like, I thought they were battle-tested, and that just did not go the way that I thought uh, it was going to at all. Um, so that right off the bat tells you what I know. I think it's going to be a really close game, too. Um, I think... I'll go Pats. Oh, you're going to make a prediction. I'm, I'm going to go Pats All in this right. game. I really do. I think the fact that they've seen Mahomes once, it seems like the Patriots in this – I'm not Andy Gresh, but the Amoeba <laughs> defense has kind, of, <laughs> has kind of played a role here down the stretch, and they've kind of hit their stride on the defensive sure. side of the ball. Uh, that those are, That's my X's and O's breakdown. I, I'm sure Gresh will rip that. But, yeah, that's what – it seems like the defense – has kind of figured stuff out down the stretch, like you said, too. So I think uh, the fact that they've also seen the speed that Tyreek Hill actually has yeah. and seen it in person, uh, I mean, they got torched by him in the second half of that first game, remember that? Brutal. And then you've seen Mahomes once, too. I think that they'll be able to dial something up that confuses yeah. Mahomes a little bit. And look, Brady in the cold and Brady in an AFC Championship game, the offense uh, seems like they're finding hitting the stride here. Yeah. So, yeah, I like Like, the Chiefs' defense sucks. Yeah, not good. Sucks. Not good. It looked like Andrew Luck was throwing pumpkins the, yeah. this past weekend yeah. here, so I don't know what the deal was there, but I just think Brady Brady's going to be able to put up points. He's not going to be affected by the cold weather. I had a hot take that when Josh Gordon left yeah. and was done for the year that the offense was actually going to improve because you're going to start to go back to... And Dink and dunk? What do you think about this line? Let me know if you've ever heard this before. Yeah. His favorite receiver was going to be his open receiver. And you've uh, kind of seen that a little bit yeah, here down yeah, the stretch yeah. here, right? Dorsett getting a little more involved, yeah. Hogan a little bit, Edelman White obviously yeah. got, I think, 30 of the 43 targets yeah. uh, in that Chargers game. And then Gronk maybe can give you something too. I know he hasn't been the same player this year, but I think that they're going to spread the ball out. I think they're going to be able to put up points, and I think they're going to figure out uh, a way to kind of disrupt Mahomes enough here where they're ultimately going to wind up in – they're what ninth Super Bowl together? Yeah. Is that crazy? It's bizarre. Wow. I was thinking, I was listening in the car today to one of the talk radios, and I am a twenty year old now, twenty one year old, and I really don't like people say this. I think to kind of just you know narrate it a little bit, but I mean it. Like I don't know a bad Patriots team. Yeah, right? like two thousand nine is probably the worst one that you've yeah. experienced, and they made the playoffs, right? right? And I mean, you look at Brady's like career. Yeah. So they win the Super Bowl in 01, and then two thousand two. They miss it on a tie break. Yeah. Uh, and they won that game, I believe it was against the Dolphins, uh, to put themselves in a position to go. And then the tie break kind of didn't yeah. go their way. And 03 04, they won it. 2005, that team was old. Yeah. 2006, you get your heart ripped out in, in, in against the Colts. Indianapolis, yeah. Uh, and that was really a Super Bowl, too, because the yeah. winner goes on to play Rex Grossman, right? Yeah. <laughs> but then 2007, the undefeated team. Yeah. 08, he's hurt. Yeah. 09, they come back, and it seemed like they wanted to give it another run with that team, and it was old and it was dysfunctional. And that was probably the worst season we've seen under these guys, yeah. right? And then 2010 on. 2010, I thought they were going to win the Super That team was a wagon down yeah. the stretch. Yeah, it was. They were blowing teams out in the second half of that season, and they got caught by the Jets obviously yeah. in that first uh, in that first playoff game, and then really since 2011 on they've been a legitimate Super Bowl contender every yeah. single year. They just passed. I saw it on the Patriots Twitter too. 127 wins in the past decade. Yeah, it's absurd. They had, but they had the previous record, which yeah. was the decade before this one. Yeah, they had 126. Yeah, so it's, it's insane. They're just rattling off wins. It's Last insane. thing on the Patriots though, they're playing this under this uh, underdog card. Yeah. Uh, 
pretty high this year, right? I mean, they're the two seed. What, right. what kind of underdog are we? Well, I mean, Rodney Harrison yeah. used to play that card, and they were going for their third Super Bowl <laughs> in four years. It's like, wait, what yeah. are we talking Who is doubting you at this yeah. point? Yeah, exactly. So, hey, if it works for them, go yeah. for it. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. So you got the Patriots in the game. Though. I think the Patriots, I think it's going to be Pats, <sighs> Pats, Saints. Really? I think we'll go Pat Saints. I think it's a fair. They're both yeah. seeds. Yeah. That's going to be a tough game. Yeah, that is going to be a tough game. Well, we got to get through Kansas right. City All first. Right. Typical right. New Englander, I say we. Like exactly. I, like I'm going to. Is this is the Stone Freeman podcast going to Atlanta? Uh, it's not. Not no. this year. <laughs> no, not this year. Uh, no radio no. for the Stone. I mean, I mean. Get some pretty good guests. Uh, I, I have some, had some good guests. It's really just because I. I wonder if you could drive down there and just set up shop in there. I think I could. Yeah. Well, really, realistically, I've had all these guests because I've interned more than I've worked these past four years. Yeah. Like, I interned here at Channel 10 yeah. uh, over the summer. Then I got Gresh because I interned for him. Yeah. Uh, I got Sosi because I interned at the Sports Hub. Yeah. Uh, I got Nick Coit because I interned at Channel 6. So Coit got the call before me, huh? Coit got the call. Well, he's a two-time Sportscaster of the Year. That's true. Yeah. Close voting this year. I heard I was a it close second. It was. Yeah. I, I want to know when do I get thrown in the No, that's a good point, too. I mean, I'm a student. I get that. But yeah. not many people got a podcast. Mm-hmm podcast in the state that's right. it right yeah. I mean Gresh has a podcast but they just take his recordings from a yeah, show so that doesn't really count no this is a produced podcast absolutely. I gotta get you a sticker too I brought some with me love you're it gonna, you can put on your you know, car your vest absolutely like everything yeah. everything. I will say this though yeah. interning is the way to go because every job yeah. that I've gotten has come through an internship Yeah. so uh, if you're trying to break into uh, being like a sports anchor or being on radio or doing play by play or something like that like I, honestly I think my biggest piece of advice for someone would be to intern as many places as you possibly can sure. because once you're done and you graduate and you can't really intern anymore like I just I don't know how you would there's so few jobs especially in New England yeah. like when you look at our sports department we have three guys right yeah. and then Channel 12 has four yeah. and then six has two yeah I mean, that's it. Like, it's so, so anytime one of these becomes open, yeah. there's h- hundreds of people applying for these jobs. Yeah. And I don't know how you would separate yourself if you didn't have an in or know someone at, at NBC sure. 10. So, like, you have to, you have to make those connections before if you actually want to be successful, I think. And, like, if you don't, I just, again, maybe there's a way. I don't know how you could separate yourself if you didn't have uh, connections like you've made. So sure. that was good on, good on you. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you, Absolutely. if the number three spot at Channel 10 ever opens. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if that's going to lead to success, <laughs> but at least there's, there's, a, there's a map, there's a road there, yeah. The highly prestigious uh, third sports reporter at NBC 10, yeah. Well, Joe was in the chair before, right? Joe is sneaky Ben at NBC 10 for a very long time now. So Frank has been here for... Th- 38 years, I think it's been. I don't know. I mean, I talked about that. I don't know a Patriots team being bad. I don't know a state of Rhode Island without Frank Carpenter. No, that's true. <laughs> Joe has been here a long time, too. Yeah. So both of those guys aren't going anywhere. Yeah. So you're looking at the number three, the number three guy <laughs> in the foreseeable future. <laughs> Absolutely. That's yeah. where we'll start. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, th- this was a great interview. Tim, thanks for joining. And you can follow you on Twitter. What's the handle? Uh, at Tim underscore McCone. And it is a fantastic Twitter follow. Oh, must. Yeah. A must the, follow. The, the, the thing you did with... Uh, Jim Calhoun, yeah. the tweet, that was an all-time. Because I wasn't expecting it. I was just expecting that you know legendary press conference from Calhoun. Yeah. <laughs> it was dumped <laughs> over, and I was literally pissing myself. So I'm, I'm really I'm not yeah. good at Twitter yet because I, I tweet probably once every, like, three, and I get killed for this because yeah. I should be tweeting every day. But, like, I just, I can't do, like, Patriots second and ten, yeah. don't convert. That, that, live tweeting, take it from a kid that's trying to stay ahead of the curve. Yeah. Live tweeting is... It's already in the past. Is it? Well, yeah. think think about every way you can find out. Like, I'm a URI basketball guy, keeps saying. Right. Or I want to score watch Providence College. Um, Kevin McNamara or Bill Koch, they're great. They provide you insight. Yeah. But I would rather read their opinions on a team or the post-game recap about what Cooley and Cox has to say yeah. rather than, like, for example, at the George Mason game, there was a ball stuck in the net. Yeah. Bill, who's fantastic, does have to tell you, though, Pause on the court. There's a ball in the net. Right. They have to do anything. Yeah, but those guys, both of those yeah. guys, like have to do that. Yes. I'm in a position where I don't like. They're not looking okay. at a guy from NBC 10 yeah. to be like, "There's a ball stuck in the net." Like, yeah. All right. Well, I know you'll be now at the Providence game, and you're gonna go and give us some live tweets for what Cooley's saying, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll throw I'll throw up some video yeah. and stuff like that. But I try to I try to keep mine a little lighter. I'm not in a position necessarily where I'm gonna break a ton of news. I know sure. it's hard to believe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but in terms of of the Patriots and yeah. stuff, yeah. I'm surprised um, you you didn't get the Hurley news. Uh, How does Goodman get or Rothstein get the Hurley news when you work in Rhode Island and you're a diehard UConn fan? 
death taxes and John Rothstein. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Getting scoops. Yeah, those are the, those are the three yeah. things you can count on. Absolutely, I was devastated yeah. by that. Yeah. Well, maybe we some inside information, but yeah, yeah not, nothing, that's nothing concrete it. to yeah. run with, unfortunately. Well, anyway, we'll that's uh, that's Tim McCone. You can catch my ninety-eight five, the Sports Hub. You work whenever they really need you, right? I, I wish I could say. Little man on the totem pole. I wish Absolutely. I could say, you know, listen to Felger and McCone on ninety-five two to six. Couple more can, years, maybe. Yeah, a couple yeah. more years. A couple more years. Yeah. And you can catch it. I mean, tonight it's this podcast is going to come out Thursday, but um, you. We can catch you on Channel 10. Too, you can catch right? me on Channel 10 this all weekend, the time. You said, you're and right. I'll say, yeah, I'll be on Saturday, I'll be yeah. on Sunday, and then if the Patriots go to the Super Bowl, I'll be the guy that is not in Atlanta. <laughs> so I'll be in studio for you guys. You guys can catch me then. Absolutely. All right, Tim. Well, thanks again. That's uh, episode 11's guest, Tim McCone, on the Stone Freeman podcast. And when we come back, we're going to take some of your questions from Twitter. Tim, thanks again for joining me. Thanks again to Tim McComb for taking some time to join the Stone Freeman podcast. That is a good man right there and uh, another great interview here on the podcast. But now it is time for my favorite segment. I love taking your Twitter questions, honestly. It is, it is something that I look forward to when I do put it on Twitter because we always get some good ones. And uh, we got two good ones today, one around the Patriots, one around Rhode Island basketball, two of the topics that we really hammer here on the podcast and uh, two big storylines for both teams, obviously. You are I making a lineup change and uh, – the Patriots in the conference championship. So we'll start with a question from Nolan Riley. Nolan asks on Twitter, Tyrese Martin with two starts and two 18-point outings, is it time to make a consistent switch to him in the starting unit? Yes. Yes, it is. Now, I'm a big Christian Thompson fan. He leads the team in all these different statistics. I got a couple of them written down here. Fourth on the team in scoring, uh, first on the team in steals per game, second in rebounding, second in blocks, three-point buckets made, third in assists, and he's second on the team in chargers. Those are a lot of important numbers, Uh, and that's all before the St. Bonaventure game. I I should mention that. I'm looking at my stat sheet from last night, and Thompson had that game right against George Mason. We went 0-5 from three. I get it. It's it's frustrating sometimes to watch Christian Thompson play, but I am a big Christian Thompson fan because his plus-minus also. Last night at one point when the Rams were really rolling against St. Bonaventure, uh, they started to give up. The St. Bonaventure made a seven-point game, and Christian Thompson had a plus-17. That, I think, is an underrated statistic too. But I understand why, because people would probably switch between, well, why is Thompson in that lineup? Jermaine Harris didn't come out, and Tyrese didn't go in for Jermaine. Well... David Cox, I got to think, is a forward thinker right now, and he has to play the future card a bit right now. Um, and that's probably the starting lineup that you want to roll out next year on opening night at the Ryan Center and then through Atlantic 10 play that hopes you get that hopefully gets you back uh, to that caliber where you're an NCAA tournament team without having to win your league, uh, the at-large bid. And that's Jeff Doughton, Surreal Langevin, Fats Russell, and then two sophomores next year that are now freshmen, Jermaine Harris and Tyrese Martin. That, to me, uh, would be the ideal lineup for them going forward. And I think that's a strong lineup next year. And I'm not getting too far ahead of myself. I'm just saying that David Cox has to be a forward thinker and think Christian Thompson and Tyrese Martin, at least coming into last night's game, their numbers weren't far off. Literally points away from each other. 6.9 points per game for Thompson, 6.8 for Tyrese Martin, 4.7 rebounds per game for Christian Thompson, 4.6 for Tyrese Martin. Uh, Thompson dishes the ball a bit more, but their shooting numbers are both uh, pretty equal. 33% from the field for Thompson, 38% for Tyrese Martin. So for David Cox, it looks like an easy switch. Now, Jermaine Harris's numbers are not eye-popping. But Jermaine has improved this season, and I know a lot of people are pushing the panic button on Jermaine, uh, to which I don't fault them. I think there's a lot of uh, question marks with a guy as highly recruited as he is. But he has come around, and particularly from the first couple games of the season, he was really timid at the beginning of the year. Uh, One of eight shooting to start off the season. Since then, since his first eight shots, though, uh, 24 of his last 43 have fallen in coming into last night's game over his last 12 games. Uh, Ten total points in just his first four games. He's now got 5.9 per game over his last 11 games. So there is a change in pace for Jermaine Harris. Um, His minutes level needs to go up. I think that comes with being a little bit more disciplined. He's been in foul trouble in a couple games. He's only playing 19.5 minutes per game. Again, these numbers are a little uh, deflated, rather, because they don't counter in the St. Bonaventure game last night. But to me, David Cox made a, a, a good move as a head coach. Now, Christian Thompson, the, the, the people on his party would say, well, he's a redshirt junior. You've got to please a guy like that. 
I don't know if a redshirt senior is going to come back after you've been here for that long. You get a chance to play at, uh, you know, he's from Louisiana, get a chance to go back down south somewhere and play your, your fifth year. Now, maybe he does love it here, and, and, and he does want to come back. He's obviously been on some pretty good teams, but he's also been hurt. Uh, I'm a big Christian Thompson fan as a, as, a, as a dude and as a player. He's a good kid that, that really balls hard. Um, but to me, you just have to be a forward thinker, and that's why there's no question to me that, that Dana Tate and Omar Silverio are finding themselves in the, in the uh, game a little quicker now off that bench, right? It seems like they're literally and metaphorically a little closer to the scorer's table, right? Because – David Cox need these guys to come around. And Dana Tate had that game against Middle Tennessee. He had two three-pointers against St. Bonaventure. Omar came alive, really the only bright spot against George Mason. You need to see guys like that continue to start to perform consistently. And starting with it consistently means they're getting more minutes. So I think it's time for Tyrese Martin to stay consistently in this starting lineup. Uh, to a lot of people, it's Christian Thompson that should stay, and it's Jermaine Harris that should go. But if you're playing the future card and you need these guys to mature quickly, there's no better way to do it than give them minutes consistently. And that's where this starts. Now, the second question, this is what we're going to end with today. It's a good question. It comes from Sam Murray, but it's all on the New England Patriots and their conference matchup, conference championship matchup, I should say, against the Kansas City Chiefs. This is a rematch. Obviously, Tim McComb and I touched on it a bit in our interview. Uh, 43-40, to 40, the final the last time these two t- teams played earlier in the season. Pat Mahomes, a great quarterback. Um, the MVP, if I had a vote, that's for sure. Um, but deeper than that, Pat Mahomes has really hidden the Andy Reid coaching blemishes. Why? Andy Reid doesn't have to coach exactly that much when Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback, and particularly when he's putting up the numbers doing this year. But Murray has a question about two particular um, position groups. His question, again, comes from Sam Murray. He says, uh, bigger matchup to focus on is Sunday's ASC Championship game. The Chiefs' defensive line versus the Patriots' offensive line or Mahomes and receivers versus Patriots' secondary? Now, you can look at this question two different ways, so I'll answer it two different ways. Uh, I would take, though, the Patriots' O-line over the Chiefs' D-line in one game because of the way the Patriots' defensive line played against um, the Chargers, right? Bosa and Ingram were both inexistent, it looked, right? The, The tackles for... The Patriots, in particular, Trent Brown, had his best game, man. Joey Bosa was – was it is Joey, right? And, and Yeah, he was the one that came from Ohio State. There's a ton of Bosa's now because all the brothers are coming through. But anyway, he was irrelevant. And there's that great clip between him and Tom Brady that's on Twitter right now where uh, Bosa and Brady are kind of chuckling with each other, and, and Bosa says to Brady, would you stop throwing the ball so fast? He said, if you stop getting me so fast, that guy is quick. But Trent Brown held him off enough to give Tom Brady the time to throw the ball out of the pocket. That is key. So all these people saying dink and dunk passes from Tom Brady, we forget how quick it takes for that play to develop, and that's impressive in itself. You know, sure, Tom Brady isn't exactly the flair for the long ball, right, in, at least since Randy Moss has been here. Um People would say he doesn't fit into tight pockets. Well, I beg to differ. That pass to Julian Edelman over the middle uh, when he came up and, and ran the post route, that was as beautiful as a window you can squeeze it in as possible. But if you do want to nick and pit that, I'll tell you this. Tom Brady getting rid of the ball is as good as any quarterback in the league. So, yeah, he's not exactly thrown it 50 yards down the field. He may be settling for five-yard outs or slant routes or pitches, but it's the way this offense works, and it works for Tom Brady. Where I'm going with this is the Chiefs' defensive line is good, right? I was looking at some of their guys, uh, their their guys earlier. Some of the numbers are just outrageous, right? Chris Jones, the uh, defensive end, he's got 15 and a half sacks this season. This is not a guy that I want to mess with. I'm not telling you that if I were starting a team, I would pick some guys along the Patriots' offensive line over some of the guys on the Chiefs. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm telling you is this, though. The way that Trent Brown played, if he shows up again, I'm taking the Patriots' offensive line because that Chargers' offensive line is much better than the Chiefs. Much better than the Chiefs. Justin Houston's that linebacker, kind of tweener linebacker defensive end, but he's also battled some injuries. He's a physical specimen. Again, I think he's really talented. He's really athletic. Uh, for a guy his size in particular, a big muscular body like his that can get to the quarterback and, and still drop back in coverage. But the way that the Patriots O-line looked and, and the, the, their biggest task though is going to be their discipline, right? Can they play in an arrowhead crowd, right? That's going to be, to me, the bigger question mark in this game is, is how do those storylines develop? 
How do these guys settle into a rhythm when that crowd is going to be nuts? That's a bigger question. Now, Mahomes and receivers versus the Patriots secondary. I think the Patriots secondary has been pretty good all season long. I think Stephon Gilmore is deserving of all the postseason accolades he's getting. He's a strong cornerback. He's a smart quarterback. He can jam the cornerback. He can jam the receivers. He can bounce back into coverage and play guys. I'm a big Patriots secondary fan. Patrick Chung has kind of had a weird season, uh, but I think he's been pretty good. Uh, the McCourty brothers, Devin and Jason, have turned it on in the second half of the season. But you have to give an advantage to a perennial offense like that, right? Mahomes and the receivers. Tyreek Hill, uh, Belichick had a great answer. You know, they asked him, how do you coach for speed? And his answer was kind of, oh, how can you coach for speed? Can't make guys faster. He's absolutely right. How can you prepare for a guy like Tyreek Hill that brings that much speed to the table? Now, if on the Patriots you have to, I don't know, jam them at the line, drop back, play, but you can't play zone. you got to man them up. you got to play man defense. But the way the linebacking core is played for the Patriots is going to make the secondary strong. Dante Hightower looks slow, out of shape, inconsistent the whole first eight games of the season. But against the Chargers, Dante Hightower looked like Dante Hightower. And if he shows up, that, sec- that, that linebacking core shows up that's been strong with Kyle Van Noy and uh, Trey Flowers all season long, Oh, I'm good with the secondary. But I will give the advantage to Mahomes because of what he's done. The way that he works, he's like a mobile quarterback that doesn't move, if that makes sense. Because he's not a true pocket passer like uh, Phillip Rivers or Tom Brady. But that kid can sling it, and he's got fast receivers, and he's also got Sammy Watkins back and healthy, right? That, you could add Travis Kelsey. That offense is good. That offense is good. Now, I will tell you this. I do give the Patriots a chance in this game. I can't tell you from the analytical standpoint that the Patriots are going to win this game, but they will not roll over. This is a Tom Brady-led team, a Bill Belichick coach team. They're not afraid of the cold, neither are the Chiefs for that matter, but the Patriots aren't going to go into Arrowhead and lay a duck like they did a couple years ago in the regular season, week four, with Alex Smith as the quarterback that dropped them to 2-2. Two and two. This is an AFC championship game. I'm not playing the anything-can-happen card, but I'm telling you the Patriots will be there in Kansas City expecting to win that game. They, you might not. They're playing the underdog card better than ever, like Tim McCone said. Um, but it's time for the Patriots to really put up or shut up now, though. 11-5, and five, gone. Who cares? A blowout win versus the Chargers. Who cares? Last year's Super Bowl. Who cares? Just show up and play the game. But to answer your question again, Mari, um, a better matchup, I'm going to give it the Patriots offensive line because I think, again, the way the offense works, the offensive line doesn't have to hold guys too long or block guys too long, but I will give the advantage to Pat Mahomes and the receivers versus the Patriots secondary because that is a good functioning offense with or without Kareem Hunt. I should mention that too. With or without Kareem Hunt, that offense will move the football. So that does it. That's your Twitter questions. We talked to Tim McComb today. We talked about things you could bring up at the dinner table. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Search us on iTunes, The Stone Freeman Podcast. Like us on SoundCloud. Follow my personal handle on Twitter, at Stone P. Freeman, and the podcast handle, at Stone Free Pod. Episode 11 again, in the books. We'll see you around town.